Hi, this is the Zane Lowe Interviews on Apple Podcasts, and I'm Zane Lowe. Zane Lowe, Apple Music. I remember Will I Am when he was a member of a kind of 90s inspired rap duo called Black Eyed Peas, and they made semi underground, credible rap records. If you knew him, you knew him, you loved him. But really, if you're being honest, there wasn't a huge amount of us that knew him. Until a powerhouse vocalist and artist called Fergie joined the band, Justin Timberlake recognized what we all knew, stepped in and did a collaboration, and then just like it's happened many times before, all that hard work reaches a tipping point and Black Eyed Peas 2.0 was born. What happened after that was a pretty unprecedented run of commercial success, huge amounts of touring, massive videos, awards, and out of it came their ambitious leader who showed an appetite for curiosity, for technology, for solutions, and for a modern world and a changing landscape. Will I Am quickly took the success of Black Eyed Peas and transferred it into new and untapped areas, building himself a space where he could explore all of this curiosity, where he could try to find solutions for things that people weren't even thinking about. I say this really seriously, Will I Am is a futurist. He is someone who constantly looks around corners in the hope that he can see what's coming. Not to try to protect himself or prepare for it, but to share that information, to let people know the world is constantly changing and just because you're standing still doesn't mean it's going to stop. It's been a while since I've spoken to Will I Am one-on-one and most of the time it's always off the record. Whenever we've had interviews, it's we've just kind of geeked out about rap music and stuff. We've never really dived into the futurist side of him, let alone the personal side of him. But we find Will I Am and Black Eyed Peas returning to that trio form recovering from being dropped by their major label and having that kind of success once again, and they are grateful for it. Which brings me and Will face-to-face, albeit through technology, to have the kind of conversation that neither of us were really prepared for. This interview really is a press record and go situation. I had no real roadmap. I just knew that if Will and I could let go, we would find ourselves in the middle of a really interesting dialogue. And that's what I think we have right here. That's why we're sharing it on the Zane Lowe series. Myself, a musician, artist, philanthropist, futurist, will I am, one of none. Enjoy it right here in my pod spot. You look younger than the last time I saw you. You're so annoying like that. Like, how is that even possible? You know what they say, bro. <laughs> I do know what they say. Dude, it's good to see you. How are you, bro? <laughs> oh, man. You know, like, I feel really good considering all that's going on. Yeah. I feel freaking, I feel good. You feel charged up? I just feel, like, focused. <laughs> There's nothing like, you know, when both nostrils are working. And you, <laughs> that is and you the get pre- best breath- Fresh air. Oh, man. As someone who has struggled with both nostrils my whole life, you couldn't have put that better. I'm right there beside you, man. That was perfect. And that's what my life feels like right now. Like, both nostrils are working. Like, before, like, what does that mean? That one's not even working right now. This one's not even working. Exactly. I'm struggling here. Like, like, what does that feel like practically? Practically, what does that mean that literally? Literally, I mean that by, like, if you're trying to juggle a lot of things and you have focus here and then focus there. One of the things that's going to take all of your attention, if you have four things, yeah. you know, good luck breathing and focusing. So right now I was able to like just prioritize my life to where I'm only doing two things, not four things. This is something that Jimmy 
He used to he used to tell me all the time, you don't stay focused enough, man. You don't you too much too many things, man. And and I know yeah. that you know. And by the way, I was just starting the impressions. We all know what I am's Jimmy Ivey impression is still the the gold standard. But he always used to tell me I'm not fo- that, that I didn't focus enough. And and I guess that's something that you could if if you could be accused of being guilty of anything, it's being across so many exciting things that focus was a challenge for you, right? That's fair to say. Yeah, and in a way, like the thing that got me to the the place in my life where I could focus on a lot of things was music. Mm. And then I didn't really focus on music a hundred percent. I didn't focus on music sixty percent. I was focusing on music like forty percent mm-hmm. and and doing a lot of different things. And now that I've just focused on music more, I realize like, damn, bro, like when I focus on music <laughs> Production wise, I could aim myself in any genre That's right. and kill it. For a while, I was like, yeah, you know, I like music, but I wasn't like, music was not my oxygen. Now that music is my oxygen, my brain is working properly. I think I'm super creative because music is my number one. It's so funny, you know, there's a moment in any super creative and successful musician's life where they're able to move in multiple different directions where that you reach that line in the sand where you ask yourself, do I want to just be remembered as a very successful, talented, creative in the music space or do I have something else to offer? And it's a totally valid question to ask, right? Life is full of experiences and opportunities, but you're right in moving away from that space, which instantly connects to your soul and allows your spirit to communicate, you do run that risk of losing that clarity of that distinction that working on music has always given you. And it's happened to others. And you know what? It's like, then it's like, wow, Black Eyed Peas, we haven't put out music in three years, right? Yeah. In 2014, it was three years because the last time we put out, sorry, it was three years, 2013. Scream and Shout was like top 10, top five, number one in some countries. That power was killing it. Mm-hmm. Sorry if I cussed. That power was, it was freaking killing, killing it. it. <laughs> yeah, that power was freaking killing it. And, you know, I had some hits on that solo project. And then I was like, okay, I proved what I, that I could do it on my own. And then 2014, I finished building the future and Apple moved in mm-hmm. in 2015. And music was like, and then Black Eyed Peas were gone for like five years and it was like, well, maybe that was our run. Maybe we had our run and we did it the biggest that anyone could do it playing like 80,000 stadiums three times in a row. And how did you feel when you're asking yourself that question? When you're sitting there genuinely saying it, it could be to your partner, it could be to yourself or your friends or even your friends in the band. Maybe we had our run. I'm sure you verbalized it and didn't just internalize it. How did it make you feel when you acknowledged that was a possibility? It made me feel awesome because we played the Super Bowl, the World Cup, got freaking like seven Grammys and you know, playing stadiums, like, yo, we had our run. We did it the biggest. What? Uh, you can't be like, we had a run. But is that what it, it was, was like, about? Yeah. Is that why you started it, to achieve those things? No, it's just like after you've achieved that and, you you know, you know you could rhyme, you know you can make beats, you know you could sell records, you know you could travel the world, you right. know. The, it became like, I like challenges. I like doing things to push myself. Like, you know, once you've lifted a, a thousand pounds, <laughs> you're like Boom. like okay what am I going to try to lift 200 pounds if I mm. lift 200 pounds it's going to change my body shape and I like my body shape I don't want to go any further like what's the point of lifting 2,000 pounds 
There's not even a freaking, you don't get an award for winning two, lifting 2,000 pounds. The award is 1,000 pounds. Like, you can't take care of your family any more than you're taking care of your family because your, your mom, your mom doesn't want that other luxury of life. She wants the life. She's cool. If I said, yo, mom, I'm going to buy you the biggest mansion in the world. She's like, no, Willie, this one's perfect. Like, I come from the projects. Like, what else is there to do other than use your money to go build other things? Mm. And then once I did that, I realized that it took me a while to realize I was missing something. And the thing that I was missing was the spark. And the spark was the relationship I had with music. Yeah. I got to – music is my wife. And my wife is open for me to do other things, but I cannot cheat on my wife with my attention. You don't have to leave to do other things. Yeah. You don't have now to. Now that, to me, we pulled off the, the biggest trick, the biggest stunt imaginable, which is can the Black Eyed Peas have a number one as a trio after eight years in a new genre? Mm. Well, the new genre thing is that's not a problem because you've been genre fluid from day one. There is a small percentage of Black Eyed Peas fans that go back and listen to those first two, three albums, recognize the footprint that you made in that space of credible hip-hop and rap music of that dilated people's era, right? That premiere era, that thing that we all love that you did so well. But a majority of Black Eyed Peas fans are down for the ride no matter where you go because you've been very genre-fluid throughout. Yeah. But the eight-year break and having number ones as a trio when people are – they've been convinced the that – The eight-year break's the, the trick. Number one. That's the trick. Because the eight-year break is the trick. That is the trick because that's three lifetimes in today's attention span. That's like imagine Cool in the Gang yeah. came out in the 70s, decided to come out – In 1992. <laughs> no, no. Because no, celebrate, celebrate, good time, come on. Because that was the 80s. So the 90s – that was the break. To them come out in the 2000s, bro. Yeah. And have, yeah. <laughs> and have a freaking, like, a song that competes. Yeah. A number one in the 2000s. Few have done 70s. it. Few have done it, man. I'll give it to you. Few, there were few have done it. U2. U2 did that when they are 40s with, it's a beautiful day. Yeah. Like, they were 40. That was their third act. Maybe their fourth act, actually. So you got into, this is a new act. You got a new act. This is it. And I want to get into the human side of it. By the way, the playlist you've made is so... Of course it is. It's so impeccably put together in terms of tempo and flow and feel and mood. I wrote it on paper first. I know you did. Like, Trust me. I wrote it on paper first. I was like, mm, mm, no, 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 scratch it out. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm a playlist maker, right? I'm a playlist maker. And so I can recognize the, the real ones who show up and it's like, this is how it's going to go. So what I've decided to do with your blessing today is just have a really, really open, free conversation because I love when we just dive in with no parameters, no agenda. And the music is going mm -hmm. to mix throughout because by the way the way you've the way you've designed it it's it's a dj set really so we're going to just let the music flow and just crossfade and mm -hmm. mix seamlessly throughout and people will know what it is and it's a streaming service so look at your device you'll see what the song is and we're just going to keep going because it's well i am and never put well i am in a box no one puts baby in a corner <laughs> yeah uh if you put me in a box i will kick the box from the inside so that when you come back you'll be like yo who brought the circle here it's a Hexagon, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who brought this hexagon here? I thought I put this in a box. I bought a box <laughs> for what <Yeah>. I am. <laughs>
an eight-year gap is one thing for fans and one thing for industry and all the components that make the Black Eyed Peas a business, but there's at the core of this is a family. And what people really have bought into and, and why we buy into Black Eyed Peas and they'll just buy Black Eyed Peas is because we buy into the relationship of you all. Um, and, I, and I know the friendship has been there throughout, but I wonder if there was any, any ground you had to cover to clear the brush so you had a clear path to creative success after that amount of time away. So it was in 2012, everybody went their, you know, family routes and mm. space because we were touring all 2011. Mm-hmm. So 2013, I did Willpower. By 2000, end of 13, I'm like, yo, Tab, how come you're not coming by the studio anymore? Like, yo, bro, like, should I take it personal? Like, why aren't you coming around? He was like, you know, I'm just trying to figure my solo shit out. I was like, yo, I figured my solo shit out amongst everybody. He was like, yeah, but, you know, Will, like, we don't always got to be in each other's space. I was like, yo, we're brothers, bro. I took it personal that he didn't want right. to come around. Right. So then 2014, I get a call. He's like, yo, Will, um, I got some bad news. I'm like, what's up? He's like, I got diagnosed with cancer. I'm like, Tab, stop around, bro. He's like, I'm dead ass. I was like, are you serious? Immediately hung up the phone, called Dr. David Agus. Dr. David Agus is the doctor who kept Steve Jobs alive as long as he stood alive and helped Lance Armstrong beat his testicular cancer. Mm. So I've known Dr. David Agus for a while, connected tab with Dr. David Agus, and his mission began and he beat testicular cancer. By 2015, we're like, all right, let's make a record. Let's get back to music. And then the hovering question was, are we going to do it as a trio or a quartet? Let's call Ferg. Ferg's like, I want to focus on, um, you know, just being a mom and being here for Axel. We're like, okay, we respect that. But what are the fans going to think? Should we wait for you? Or should we keep it moving? Because if we wait for you, how long we wait? It's already been four plus years. And by the way, you have got no investment in that conversation really at all because as a mother, as long as it takes. That's the answer. So we were like, you know, we respect that. But then America was on fire. The world was on fire with Aleppo police shootings and killings in America. So Angela Aarons, she's like, well, let's do a new version of Words of Love. And we're going to put it on every iPad, every tele- every laptop, every TV, and every Apple store around the world. So we did that. That taught us a lot. Mm-hmm. Taught us on the state of Black Eyed Peas and where we were and what we thought we were and the power of music and networking. So we're like, okay, we need some work to do because our brand isn't as vibrant as we hoped it was, or we thought it was the illusion of what it was based on what we did last. Cause that's what success can do to you. It distorts your perspective of reality. Yeah, it's a it makes you think, yeah. yeah, it makes you think you're the center of the world. And you know, because you have people that are take, I hate bag carriers. I, I like, don't carry my bags. You're going to distort my perspective. I could carry my own bag. Mm-hmm. I hate shoelace uppers. <laughs> like, yo, yo, I, unless my back is hurting, I'm tying my own shoes. As a matter of fact, I wear Balenciagas. I don't tie shoes. <laughs> <laughs> like, success f***s people up like that. And when, when Where's the Love Part 2 happened, we thought, Angela thought, everybody thought, yo, this is going to be everywhere. It wasn't. It wasn't. So I was like, okay, it's a new world. Before we flex this pop arm, let's do an underground jazz hip-hop record. Mm. Interscope wanted us, they wanted Black Eyed Peas, the I Got a Feeling Black Eyed Peas. They wanted the uh, Where's the Love 
They didn't even want the words of love, Black Eyed Peas. They wanted, let's get it started. Yeah. Don't lie, my humps, boom, boom, power. Where is the love was the right transition record. That wasn't yeah. like the, we want three or four or five of these records. That was the fluke. Yeah. They wanted, like, I got a feeling, boom, boom, pow, that stuff. I was like, ah, you know, we're a trio again, and I can't just jump into that. I got to test the waters first. I got to, like, because as soon as we do that and it doesn't work, it's done. So let's do this. Let's do what the original fans have always been waiting for, patiently. Mm-hmm. Some of them forgot. Mm-hmm. And if, if we can make them remember, and they are excited, how, however many of them are, let's make a record for that. You remember my reaction when you played it to me at the future because we were occupying some space in your in your studio at the time, as you rightfully mentioned, to launch Beats One, and you came and said, "I got something." You played me. I went into your studio and you played it to me, and I lost my mind. Yeah. So we did Masters of the Sun, and was like, "Yo!" And it was meant to be what it was, and then we got dropped off of Interscope. Wow. They dropped us 2019. That is completely inconceivable in 2010. So hold on, we get dropped. Beginning of 2019, I go to Jimmy. I'm like, yo, Jimmy. I'm like crying and shit. I'm like, yo, Jimmy, we got dropped. And I remember he's like, if you sign the inter- if you sign the Interscope for $450,000, no matter how many records you sell, you can always make records at Interscope. I remember that conversation. And then when, when we sold Beats to Apple, Jimmy, he was like, you know what I told Eddie Q and Tim Cook that I kept my promise? Will I am and Black Eyed Peas were always able to make records as long as I'm at Interscope. He told me this like years ago. And so when I came to him like crying, like, Jimmy, I don't even know. I mean, we, we got dropped, bro. Like, not that I need a record label. It's just the emotion, the of psychology course. of it. Of course. And so I had nightmares about going into Jimmy's office and people saying, uh, I had this one dream that I walked into Jimmy's office and I'm like, Steve Berman, you changed the furniture? Why? <laughs> and so I, and then Jimmy was like, well, it's time for you to build your own office. Forget this office. And that was my, that was one of my, it's like reoccurring dream that happened right before we got dropped. So then we get dropped and Jimmy's like, uh, it's not supposed to be forever. Nothing's supposed to be forever. This is a wake up call. And so I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right. Because Jimmy's like, he's not just my label, the label head. He's like a father figure to me. Like, yeah. I don't know my dad. He didn't like it when I was like, yo, Jimmy, you're like a father figure to me. He was like, I'm not your father figure. I was like, well, you're the same age as my mom. <laughs> you know so uh, in a way you could be. So he was like, so what are you going to do? I was like, I don't know. There's a part of me that wants to like prove them wrong. He was like, don't go down that road. Do music because you love it. And so it took me a while to figure it out. The Super Bowl was about to happen. We went to Atlanta. Seth was like, yo, Will, let's just go network. You stay in the studio too much. You think by you being in the studio that's working, you stop going out. (laughs) You don't go to clubs anymore. You don't freaking go out to freaking like Grammy parties or you don't do any of that stuff. I was like, yeah, you know, you know, beat success really tainted you. You need to freaking go out. Well, success tainted you first. But then your confidence gets knocked and you start to think like, how do I show up? Like, how do I show up no, with no, these no. things? Surely. No, beat success. My head up. Right. When you've made more money from a beats deal than all your songs, it changes the reason why you're making songs. Like the reason why I made songs was to take care of my mom and the projects. Mm. 
That was the reason. That's what got me to do music. It's like, mom, I'm going to move you out the projects. This is my ticket. I'm signed. Like, you know, I, I can take care of my family. So did you make music for money? I made music for survival. And I love music. I love to compete. I love to battle. I love to study. And so once I realized that, and we did Masters of the Sun, I fell in love again. Hunting for samples, looking at lyrics, like looking at metaphors and, you know, similes and parables. And How heartbreaking to fall back in love with the process. I need to find out that the person you share that love with doesn't love you anymore. Jimmy was Interscope, not Interscope. I realized that we were signed to Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy, that, that, that was that relationship. And the, when he said that indirectly, like, well, I'm not there anymore. What did you expect was going to happen? <laughs> like, basically, that's what he said. So I was like, you know what? The humbling part was like, yo, let's go to Billboard Latin Awards and like, just go just like hunt. Let's go freaking like network. I want to do a Latin album. I knew it in my gut. Like, yo, let's do an album dedicated to the world that accepted the Black Eyed Peas. Our success, like Black Eyed Peas, we couldn't play the Dodger Stadium or Rose Bowl. We played Stadium Azteca in Mexico. Mm. We couldn't play freaking Dallas Cowboy Stadium. We played the Brazilian Stadium in Sao Paulo and Rio de Janeiro. Like we were playing stadiums in Central and South America and Spain and France. That's where our success was at. Like, yo, let's, let's dedicate this record to our Latin audience and do a whole album, half album, at least 50% in Spanish. I'm born and raised in East LA. I have a school teaching kids computer science, robotics, sending kids to Dartmouth and Brown and UCLA and Stanford. And the majority of my students are Mexicano because that's the neighborhood I come from. Let's do a freaking Latin album. So we did. So to go to like the Latin Billboard Awards and you're trying to network with Jay Balvin and the head of Universal, Latin's there and he knows you got dropped. That's an embarrassing thing. Yeah, you got to swallow your pride big time there. That's a big step. You know? That's a big step. So you got to... So it's about, I got to make hits because any minute now, Balvin's going to know we don't have a label. And why would he work with the Black Eyed Peas when there's no label at that level to really amplify the hit? So then a friend of ours is like, yo, Will, Sylvia Roan and Zeke are working on Bad Boys 3 soundtrack and they need Latin urban shit. And I told him that you're working on that. I was like, all right, bring him by the studio. So they came by the studio like August 2019. And at this time, I'm like, I'm inspired, but there's a sour taste in my mouth of like betrayal or like heartbreak and just humbleness as far as like humility. There's a, humility is the right word. And, humili and a bit of humiliation probably as well. Yeah. Mm. So I'm like, okay. Sylvia Rohn's coming. She's the queen, a goddess in the music industry. And I wonder if she knows we're dropped. Because that was my biggest fear. Ask mm. DJ Mormilli. Hey, all the time you would call Will, what would he say? From 1999 to 2011, even at the Black Eyed Peas height, I would always say like, yo, we dropped. <laughs> because my thing was like, yo, if I get dropped, am I going to go work at the thrift store? Am I going to work at a record store? Am I going to be working at a Meepo? Oh, man. Like, I graduated high school with a GED, but music is my life. This is the relationship. This You are describing the relationship that has been at the core of the music business from day one. 
this idea that the artist is responsible for the magic, for what we get. And yet there's this almost, it's like artists have daddy issues or something. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, don't leave me. Yeah. Yeah. And me, right. I, I'm an investor in a muse, right. I'm a part of a muse the, the platform that allows artists like Old Town Road is successful because they used a muse to put it on Apple Music and all the other DSPs. Like, why do I feel like, yeah. why, why I got that? It's just, the, it's psychological. It's like, it's been 20 years at Interscope. Just the idea, the function, the operational, you know, side of like, I have a label. I have a product manager. You know, there's a budget. I don't need a label to give me money to do a video. I'm paying for all this myself. This is the mad thing about it. In the meantime, you had created one of the most independent business models of any musician of your era, gone out there and invested wholesale in your own vision and backed yourself, except for the one thing that got you there, which was the music. And you were still like looking for validation in that one space. Everything else. Not only that, like I come into my building every day and I'm like, my label doesn't even have a studio like mine. <laughs> I got like AR fucking stages. I got two, three sound stages, four yeah. recording studios, yeah. editing booth, mixing facility, like a distributing yeah. platform, like a muse. Like, why am I tripping? But like I said, it's just psychological and mm. emotional. Mm. So here comes Sylvia Roan. Zeke comes and hears Ritmo. He gets up and walks out after the first chorus. So I'm like, what a <laughs> so then he comes he comes back in and he's like, yo, play that shit again. I just caught Sylvia. She's on her way here right now. Well, this is what we've been looking for. I'm like, what do you mean? He was like, Well, I don't think you know what you got. I was like, uh, can you explain a little more? He was like, Well, that's a bona fide freaking smash. It was like, I know you sampled Corona, but that can beat and that sub chorus that's on top of it, yo, this is that urban latin pop shit that people are trying to figure out the way to crack because right now these songs are like despacito mi gente they're they're so distant apart that despacito doesn't really feel like mi gente but they're latin but that crossover latin urban pop no one's defined it i think you got that right here play me other songs from your record so i played a maluma i played him this i played him that he was like yo when did you make this i was like i've been making this since 2000 and 2016 really but we did an underground record but every time we did an underground record we did a pop record and put it to the side mm. i knew we were eventually going to do this pop arm but i needed to get out all this freaking like artsy obscure well you also had you to know, acknowledge that commentary. you'd also had to acknowledge that the core dna of the band had changed and what you were before fergie joined was what you were making so it feels like you instinctively went back to that space because we can't discount the impact that Fergie's presence had on the just the, I mean the, the presence of the band on multiple levels on the charts on the radio on the stage it was that piece of the puzzle that had been missing in terms of blowing it all wide open and so I guess in a weird way yeah but to, to the architects I know what the songs are like from nothing to being born mm. and I'm blind from that because I write all this stuff and produce it. So in my head, it's the songs. Without the songs, there is no stage. You're not Without wrong. Without the song, there is no radio. Without the f***ing choruses and the beats, 
There is none of that. You're not wrong, but I was at the big day out watching you guys perform as you were about to, on the eve. It was about to happen. That album was happening. This is the era of the Black Eyed Peas. Everything is present and accounted for, whatever year it was. So, I was yeah, we took a helicopter from Sting's house. <laughs> I remember we Sting, Sting invited us to his castle right next to Stonehenge. And um, Seth, our, our manager, was like, yo, Will, Sting wants to have dinner with you guys. I was like, Sting? I love the police. <laughs> so we drove to his house and we were late to the show. He was like, why don't you take my helicopter? I was like. So you helicoptered into Glastonbury on Sting's helicopter. So we helicoptered into Glastonbury and um, it was the same time that Paul McCartney was. Headlining. He just went on. He headlined. And uh, we went on and then Paul McCartney was going on. So we went to his, his uh, to see his show from the side. So he let us go on the side. And as we were going on, Somebody tied his shoe. I was like, somebody tied his shoe? Can't tie his own shoe? So, Yo, so wait, told, wait a minute, because I know you don't like shoe tires. McCartney gets a pass. Okay, Paul McCartney gets a pass. No, it turns out he had a bad back. Yeah. So he needed the shoe tire. Yeah. I just remember that the songs, yeah, the songs got better. The confidence increased. The band felt like you were about to ride a wave. All that work had led to this point. But that show I saw, you laid waste to everybody else on that bill because the three of you had become the four of you and there was that power now to deliver it. And your live shows yeah. were a huge part of it. To me, Tab and App, our live shows became that because they threw us in the pit mm. with Suicidal Tendency in mm. 1999. Mm. They threw us in the pit with freaking, um, you know, Broham, mm. uh, Pennywise. Like, we had to go on tour. Warp tour. Wow, crazy. Yeah. Yo, we had to go on tour with Metallica at the Big Day Out. We had to go on tour with freaking Black Eyed Peas, The Darkness, and Coldplay, and freaking Mars Volta. <laughs> right? It's like, we had to learn how to perform like that. Mm. This is all pre-Fergie. By touring punk rock tours, we had to bring energy. So when Fergie got inserted into the Black Eyed Peas, she had to forget all that Wild Orchid pop stuff. Fergie in the Peas, she had a... She had a... Different really, energy. She had yeah. to change her energy. She couldn't do Wild Orchid shit. Fergie's from Wild Orchid. <laughs> and props to Fergie because she came with it. Yeah. She brought it because she had... She, there was no choice but to. She was forced to just... Ah, oh, it was crazy. All the, things that, all the things that Wild Orchid did not allow her to do she could do that on stage with the piece. But to the ar architectural credit, all those songs were made before we met her. Mm. You know? All those songs were made. And we had our, we had our recipe of how we made music. So fast forwarding now to the present-ish well, moment, and you've got, and Sylvia shows up, and you're sitting on this body of work, but you don't know, but he's right, you don't know what you've got right? Because you're too close to the project and you're smarting because you got dropped. So you're more worried about Sylvia Rohn judging you quietly for being a dropped artist than she will judge the music, even though we now know Sylvia Rohn is a music fan in first and foremost period. No, this is what she said. She was like, well, I don't give a, f <laughs> a trio. These songs and no one knows in Sony Latin or all the Latin world that you have mm. these bombs mm. one after one after one after one. And as a black man, there's not that many black producers and songwriters that compete in pop cross genres. Name one, Will. She's like, name a black producer, 
songwriter, performer that competes in pop across genres. I never even thought of that. That was Sylvia Rohn that brought that to me. I was like, holy shit. She's like, most black producers produce and compete in urban and urban only. The only one that springs to mind, although he's not considered to be a pop star, even though he is, in my opinion, a pop star, is Frank. He's the only one that dives around. And I consider Frank a producer. I do. And I know not in the same way maybe you do it, but I do think he produces his music and directs his own art. Yeah, but I think what she meant by that is like songwriting for other people, mm-hmm. going specifically into a genre. She's got a point. on that genre yep. on an international level. Mm-hmm. On an international level, what black artist has top 40 songs that, that play in Russia, that play in Slovakia, that play in Czech Republic, that play in China and Japan, that play in Indonesia and Vietnam and Taiwan and play in freaking like, Philippines and Laos and Cambodia that play in freaking Brazil, Mm. Argentina, Mm. Uruguay, Paraguay that play in Chile and Belize and Panama and Colombia and Cuba and Venezuela and Nicaragua and Costa Rica that play in freaking Zambia and Nigeria and right? Name a black producer that does that. And I, and it took her to, she was, I needed that massage so bad and that stretching she, to make me realize, like, yo, what the... Mm. This is where you need to focus. And when she... Yo, bro, Ritmo is bigger streaming than I Got a Feeling. And I Got a Feeling is a big fucking record. Big record. Ritmo is bigger. Bigger than Where's the Love. We're having our success now. Okay, wait. Now I need to jump in and I need to ask what this means. Because what you recognized a couple of years ago was that you can have all the success that you want... You're still going to make more money doing other things probably, but the success mattered so much that when someone took it away from you and said, you can't have success here anymore, you're not successful enough, it nearly broke you. And now you're having success again. The question is, have you altered the metric of value to appreciate what it means in a different way? Because otherwise you're giving that success to somebody to take away again. Do you know what I mean when I'm saying that? Yeah, no. So I think the reason why they took it away is because I remember I met with uh, Lucien Grange. So I go and see Lucien. He's like, let's face it, Will. You've checked out of music a long time ago. Technology took your attention away from you. Let's be honest. He's like, you're chasing the entrepreneurial dream now. The musician side of you, that's not your focus. Let's be real. I was like, you know what? You're right. So they didn't take it from me. They just, in reality, they just echoed what my actions were. How could they have done it better from your point of view? How would you, how do you wish they'd done it? Exactly the way they did it because I needed it. However the shit happened, just like this, however they did it, lit a fucking fire. And I'm like, ah, so how do we keep the uh, action item is to keep that fire alive. Okay. If that's the action item, then what, how are you stoking it? How have you structured your business different? What have you taken from that experience in order to prevent yourself from being vulnerable again? Making this building reflect the love for music. For like four years, the building was like partitionalized to where like I had my AI developers over there. Yeah. I had my hardware guys over there. Studios in the and back. The music, Studios in the back. Studio was in the back. And you couldn't come in. The, you couldn't work on music. I was shocked, um, bro. I don't mind telling you, you know, as a, as a long time Black Eyed Peas Will I Am fan, 
I was thrilled to see you emerging into the uh, visual arts and having lenses and, cre and creating, <laughs> creating amazing, amazing software and solutions and looking for technology. And, and I love the Japanese toilets, but I was surprised when <laughs> I was, I was surprised where music sat in all of it. It was like you built it. Like I should have studios, not I want studios. Yeah. So to answer your question, before you couldn't work on music in the daytime. Music, the studio opened at seven. Right. So you didn't interrupt the developers. Right. Now, the developer, they just have to live with music because music is, is the center of the building. You said something about the new album, right? About translation that was presented in a sentence form ahead of the release that said, with the negativity, panic, pain, stress, and confusion, I think some sunshine and joy can lift people's spirits. Now, on the surface, that statement could be seen as a, um, a loving and light solution to dark times, which, by the way, is nothing wrong with that. But I know that you feel things heavily, and I know that the music that you make and the art comes from a very real place, and I know that you have a revolutionary spirit. And so I wonder what is going on in your revolutionary spirit right now while we immerse ourselves in this brilliant hybrid pop music. I wonder what the revolution in you is, is saying and stirring right now because I know it's there. That's a hard – I'm answering that honestly. I hope so. I'll paint two sides. There's two paths to revolution. And I like to look at the word revolution and ignore the R and just say evolution. And music can help us evolve. You could go in reverse and then go forward, or you could just go forward from an optimistic point of view by bringing people together on the same frequency. If you start a revolution and no one's on the same frequency and the, the opposing forces are technically savvy where they can manipulate the voices to cause us into like a point of no return type of revolution and persuade because you can't trust the information coming from these platforms. The only place you can trust is the streaming platforms. They haven't figured out a way to manipulate the voices of the songwriters and their intent on how they bring people together. Mm. Google is manipulatable. Facebook is highly manipulatable. Twitter's manipulated. Every single platform is manipulatable except for the streaming platforms right now. Mm. Bob Marley, if he was alive today, there's no algorithm to change the fucking lyrics, to change the sentiment of what he said. There's no fake song. There's fake news. There's no fake song. Yes, there's fake music, but the lyric that Travis Scott intended is the lyric. There's no algorithm yet to change that. There's no fake version of the song yet. That is liberating. That is freaking pretty awesome. So how do you guide people? How do you inspire people? It's about inspiration right now. It's about love. It's about unity. That's the revolution. And I know that sounds like kumbaya, like huggy huggy. But no, that's real. Because it could get ugly real fast. And you don't know if the ugly was intended and persuade micro-targeting with five, ten steps ahead of you and they're leading you to go down that path. You can't trust this shit, bro. You can't trust the fucking posts and the tweets. You can't trust any of that. The only thing you can trust is music. That's why I choose optimism, joy, and that love. That's the reason why it's poppy and uplifting, because that's the only thing you could trust right now.
the true intent of the human heart. Oh, my finger slipped. <laughs> nah, that was totally intentional. That was beautifully put. How's the personal? How's family? How's the developing world of will I am the human being, not just the artist and the third act and you know, the person who is always looking for solutions. How is the human being, the person behind the, who's not at the future at a time when I think we, it's a fair question to ask because if there's anything that's brought us into the same room, aside from the fight, the desire to make change, it's that we've all been left with time to reflect and, and to think on things recently. Considering what's going on, I feel good. I'm happy about being able to breathe. I'm uh, blessed to be able to take care of my family mm. and go back to my neighborhood and prepare the kids for tomorrow. There's one part of me that I know I could do better, and I want to be able to take what's working at my school and my ghetto to other ghettos, to other ghettos of color, because it works. I've been doing it for 11 years, and one of my kids went to Dartmouth last year. One of my kids went to Stanford. One of my kids went to Brown. One of my kids, a lot of my kids went to UCLA and USC, like hood-ass kids. Intelligent. All the things they thought they couldn't do, they proved them wrong. Yeah. And there's a part of me that wants to spread that, wants to, that knows I have to do that. It should not stay in my neighborhood. So that's the only part of me that doesn't feel fulfilled. Every other part feels like, you know, I'm solving problems, but then there's this thirst that's not quenched because I need to rinse out all that knowledge and solutions in other areas that need it. Fatherhood? I'll be an awesome dad. So eventually, like when I say eventually, I'm not, not five years ago, eventually, <laughs> like when I'm like, yeah, no, baby, I feel like you, like eventually, yeah. But, but, <laughs> Yes, I want to, but damn it. It's such a micro experience. It's, um, it's such a detailed, it's all in the detail. And, um, yeah, but I'm afraid, I'm afraid that once I do that, I'm not going to want to do anything but be a dad. Why is that scary? It's not scary. It's just like saying goodbye to all this. Shit. Nah. Cause I want to be, my, I want to be what my mom was to me. My mom was a high hundred percent. My mom, my mom, I didn't have her. 50%, 60%. I had my mom 100%. She didn't do nothing else but be my mom. Your mom made a point of being a full-time parent. What I took from yeah. that observation wasn't that she made sacrifices to do that. And she may well, very well have done, or parents do to some degree, willing sacrifices that, that I might add. But what I took from that observation and, and that point was that she wanted you around, that she wanted you to experience everything she experienced and experience everything you experience because she wanted that closeness of a relationship with you. And the reason I, I point that out from that point of view is that I disagree that, that everything else stops. I think that a lot of times we think that when we become parents, we have to stop and focus entirely on the children. Whereas I think the children want to be part of our focus and we bring them into our world and we don't make a distinction between the two. They just become a part of your everyday without sacrifice. Yeah. Just knowing me. I got to be there 100% knowing what's coming around the corner. The world's crazy in 2030. What is it? You know, because for the past five years, I've been a part of the World Economic Forum's AI Council. 
And uh, although some awesome things are going to come, we're seeing the beginnings of what the world is going to be now. Like this is, it really is a whole new era. It's a whole new decade. The fourth industrial revolution kicking off right now. And we're seeing it. We're seeing like division, social distancing, poor leadership, physical jobs, questioned digital jobs going through the roof. We're going to see the second wave of COVID. It has nothing to do about the virus, just companies doing mass layoffs because they've realized that they don't need everybody at the office. Big office buildings, we don't need that. We made our money this quarter. Insights, they're calling this the Great Awakening, where people, companies have woken up. And it's never going to be the way it was. And that means... Teachers are grading in, in ways that they've never graded. So how do you know that the people that graduated this year were actually because it was great practice or if it was just like, oh, we, we've never done this before, you get an A. So this graduating class is, we're going to remember this class. We're going to remember this forever. And the question marks of what jobs will be there tomorrow, and we know there's going to be mass job loss just from COVID. We know there's going to be mass job loss from the autonomous world, the uh, AI world, the robotic world. That's in this next 10 years. So if I have a kid next year, my 2029, that kid is eight. That world is totally different, bro. And I got to be there 100% because you can't wing this, this next one. The world is upside down. It's starting to tip now. We're seeing it. We're feeling it tip. We're watching it. We're in the middle of the tip, you know? And so knowing that and knowing that you got to design the tomorrow job creators, you got to design tomorrow's like contributors and problem solvers. So I want to design my kids to be problem solvers. And that's going to require a hundred percent of me. Like my mom designed me. Not an accident. It just wasn't by chance. My mom I wrote Happy Father's Day to my mom because hmm. I don't have a dad. My mom is my mom's my dad. And my Happy Mother's Day to my mom was, my mom is a designer. My mom is a planetary scientist. My mom is a computer scientist. My mom is a developer. My mom sent me to the best school possible and got me out of the hood so I can see what the world has to offer. Leaving my ghetto to go to school in Brentwood is like going to a different planet to educate Right. So that's why my mom is a planetary scientist. My mom didn't allow me to hang out in the streets growing up. She didn't want the hood to influence me. That's like changing an operating system of a Samsung phone to be an iPhone. My mom put iOS on an Android device. My mom developed me to know that anything is possible. My mom developed me to know that I am the author of my dreams and I have the ability to make my dreams reality. My mom instilled code into my brain to overwrite the conditions of society that tells a black man they cannot achieve anything. And my mom did all this developing without a man to help her. Men are important, but from my perspective, I am happy I didn't have a father growing up. My mom is all that I needed. Women are truly the strongest people on earth. And that is why this male-dominated world is terrified of a strong woman. The world is the way it is because of egotistical men. I truly believe the world would be a much better place if a woman were in control. Happy Father's Day, Mama. Right? So 
which is a crazy sentence. Happy Father's Day, mom. I love it. Because when you're a, a black man in America or a man in America raised by a mom, like, what do you do for Father's Day? Who do you say Happy Father's Day to? Do you ignore the fact that your mom also wears the pants in the house and fathered you? Mm. Like, father does not mean, like, you know, bust a nut. Yeah, ign- <laughs> acknowledge like, it for what it is. Acknowledge the role for what it is, yeah. So seeing that from my mom and that 100% attention to design me and 100% love to develop me, 100% nurturing to protect me, I got to do that for my child. And I, I can't be like, hey, babe, I'm almost finished with this beat. I don't want to do that as a parent. When I'm a parent, I want to I wanna be what my mom was. That's 100%. That's the reason why it's always hard for me to like answer that question. You answer and it am beautifully. I ready for that? Hell yeah, I'm ready for that. Am I ready to like stop what I'm doing now? We got a hit right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but um, I got to do it for my mom because I want my little seed to know my mom. You know, like it's not going to know my grandma. When I was 30, if you asked me this when I was 30, I, I would have said, yeah, because I want my kid to know my grandma. I fucked up on that. That didn't happen. Mm. My grandma passed away. So I can't be fucking around with that passive aggressive answer. Like, I'm going to be an awesome pop. I just got to get going on that. That's some deep shit, bro. Fuck me up, man. That's my job. <laughs> yeah. You're pretty good at this. I miss you. Yeah, I miss you too. It's really great to see you. I miss going to like, uh, I miss you guys. When you guys are here at the building, I miss going to San Francisco and sitting with Eddie Q. And I remember one day Jimmy was like, well, why don't you just come over here with what we're doing? I remember he asked me that. And I was like, oh, no, you know, I'm just doing my shit. I always had that lone wolf. Yeah. You know, I always had that, that lone wolf that would hunt and then bring back like, oh, check what I found and then go and hunt again. I'm like Boba Fett. <laughs> I'm like a Mandalorian. I love you, bro. Stay in touch. Send me your number. Text me. Yeah, I'm on the same one. All right. Be well. Bye. Bye. You got to keep your ears and eyes open for people like Will I Am. You know, you cannot put them in a category marked bonkers or crazy or what's he talking about. That just shows limitations to your thinking. You know, you got to use people like Will I Am and what they're saying to challenge your idea of what is possible. And he will do that willingly. That is his favorite thing to do. Will I Am and myself in conversation, listen to the Black Eyed Peas. All their music is up and on Apple Music alongside Will I Am's solo and collaborative experiences. It's all there. So go be a music fan and subscribe right here if you want to dive a little deeper because we'll be back very soon with another conversation on the Zane Lowe series.